Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to NDRN's podcast called The Panda Pod, where we focus on all things related to protection and advocacy for people with disabilities. I am Justine Justice Shorter, Disaster Protection Advisor here at NDRN, where I focus on all things related to disasters, fires, humanitarian crises, and other emergencies. And I am joined today to my right by the phenomenal Erica. Erica, how you doing today? Great. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. This is Erica, Public Policy Analyst with NDR and focusing on census, or as we like to call it, the big C. The big C. In the studio. Mm-hmm. And to my right, I, I had to double check that. I, I, saw, you. I, saw, I saw a lot of hesitation in your face. Right to the right. And this is Michelle Bishop, voting rights specialist and NDRN here on the Panda Pod with you today, the podcast filled with pandemonium. Oh, we knew she I had to do it. stole a pun from Erica. We knew it had day. to happen. Big day it, here it had to happen. Well, you know, today right. has to be a big day because it is also the last day of this series, all oh, focused on disability, disaster, and democracy. It is our final episode in this three-part trilogy. Be, although we've come oh, oh, to the end oh, of the road, oh, I still can. Erica, do you even know that? I have no idea, oh, but I'm impressed. It's unnatural fun. that you don't know that song. It is <laughs> so wrong. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah, did you hear it all up in the road? I all, did. Yeah, it was yeah. loud. All right, we'll do a whole other series where we introduce Erica to 90s R&B. Yes. And we'll also be releasing a mixtape coming up soon, maybe dropping at the end of the year. We don't have any approval to do any of that, but hey, we have a mic. But yeah. don't worry, the Pandapod is here to stay. There are other NDRN staff that are eagerly cooking up spicy new content, including Erica and I. Yes. We're working on Pava with Java, mm. a Pava podcast. You heard um, it here. <laughs> Wait a minute, but if there's anyone out there who does not know what Pava is, could you tell them? Oh, oh Protection Advocacy for Voter Access. There we go. They better know what it is. Hello. Good So, yes, we've got new content coming on the Pandapod where protection and advocacy for people with disabilities is always on the menu. Mm. literally the only thing on the menu but that's fine and we're proud of that you know <laughs> that's, and that's very that's clear fair. that's we're proud <laughs> truth truth <laughs> but so thrilled to hear that the panda pod is here to stay ladies and hopefully with us as the three host and as we're already the host for today's episode we're going to take it away and let you know what we're going to be talking about today absolutely we have three phenomenal stories today and i think the content is pretty good michelle would you agree I like to say, just to interrupt, they're very captivating. It's like an episode of Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy has been on the air for like 16 years. Imagine us that in 16 years. Yeah, We're going to be sitting happen. in this studio. And and, well, um, nobody just... wants to watch 16 years of my life. Listen, I, <laughs> I would. I, I think that would be fascinating, I, just like the panda pod. The, the panda pod is fascinating. Not sure about the other things you've mentioned. <laughs> I'm sure that this episode in particular, though, is going to be something that you want to stay tuned for. We have some wonderful folks from the network, the PNA network. Uh, network here who are going to be giving us some of their personal perspectives on these issues. And when we say these issues, we mean voting rights after disasters in the census. Isn't that right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Later in the episode, we'll connect the census to disaster assistance with Stephanie Duke from Disability Rights, Texas. 
And then we'll get on the road after Hurricane Michael with Carol Stahursky from Disability Rights Florida. But first. But first, we're going to start out with the gentleman who inspired me, ladies. He was my oh. inspiration oh. for getting this particular series started on uh, disability, disaster, and democracy. He was a very active and eager um, individual who really, really cared about these issues. And everything that I do is driven by what the PNA uh, network tells me that they need, which is what all of us do, right? So um, this gentleman's name is Zachary Bracken, and he is a voting rights specialist Ooh. coming out of Disability Rights New York. Go voting rights specialist. Excellent. Go New York. You're a New York girl, yeah? Oh. Both true. Oh, yes. All right. Hey, now. And so uh, Zach has a truly stunning story that talks about his experience doing Superstorm Sandy in 2012. We do think that you all will enjoy it. I don't even need to say anything else. I'll let Zach take it away. Hi, my name is Zachary Barotkin. I am a voting rights advocate with the New York PNA, which I have been working at for a little over a year now. So, my story begins on October 29th, 2012. It is just before 8.30 p.m. Uh, and I and a friend of mine are watching TV. And all of a sudden at 8.30, the lights go out. And that was the time that Hurricane Sandy uh, basically struck down on New York City and my power would go out for the next five days. Uh, so I couldn't get out of my house because the elevator wasn't working and I couldn't get to work. So I was basically stuck in my apartment for that week while the city recovered from the effects of Hurricane Sandy. Now, in this time, I, because there were no electronics, I spent a lot of time thinking about um, what was happening around me because this was also a presidential election year. And I knew that the governor of New York, Governor Cuomo, um, had already declared an emergency in the days leading up to Hurricane Sandy. But I was curious as to the other decisions that were going to be made around accessibility and access for people who could not get out of their buildings or who were trapped um, in, in the city and couldn't get out. And I realized that when you vote, um, because again, this was a presidential election year, when you vote, you're not just voting for the governor or the president or the person who's going who's gonna to hold uh, that specific position in public office. You're voting for, for the process behind the decisions that they make. And part of that decision-making process involves people that they put into power to make 
decisions on issues involving education and issues involving emergency management um, because the governor or the person appointed cannot make those decisions on their own. They appoint people to make those decisions and have them carried out. Um, and I think this is why people should vote um, in general and following major disasters because you are putting the person in charge who is responsible for giving someone else the power behind the decision-making process. Uh, and part of that decision-making process during Hurricane Sandy was the recovery effort um, to help New York City recover. And since it was a presidential election year, a decision was made to have people vote from anywhere via affidavit ballot because some of the poll sites had been affected by Hurricane Sandy. Uh, my poll site was at the LGBTQ Center um, on 13th Street and 8th Avenue. It was right, we, it was right where St. Vincent's Hospital used to be. Um, and that whole area was devastated. So it was the decision of the governor to have people fill out affidavit ballots to vote from anywhere. And it was the decision of the governor to appoint an emergency manager who would decide on the recovery following Hurricane Sandy. So this um, is an important reason why people should vote um, in general, because again, they're voting not just on the person who's going to hold high office, but they're voting on the decision-making process. They're voting on the people that the governor is going to put in power um, that's going to be behind the decision-making process that's going to affect their lives. So this is an understated reason, but it's a very crucial reason why people need to vote because these decisions affect everybody. Thank you so much, Zach. And now we go to Stephanie. Hello, my name is Stephanie Duke. I'm the Equal Justice Work Disaster Recovery Legal Fellow at Disability Rights in Texas. And I have been working in the Houston office for almost two years since Hurricane Harvey hit um, after 2017. So disasters are catastrophic events which range from terrorist attacks to extreme weather occurrences. And today the reality of it is that they are increasing in numbers and in severity. In 2019 alone, over there were, there were over 100 declarations with damage assessments at over $91 billion. So in addressing needs after disaster, Previous traditional models have focused on self-preparedness to potentially alleviate consequential costs. While this method has lessened some expenses, the exponential costs have not been decreased. So there's been a new process that looks at the whole community or community resiliency approach. 
Community resiliency has become the central framework guiding disaster preparedness and planning efforts with researchers, practitioners, certain policymaking involved and focusing on the factors that communities need. Different conceptualizations of community resiliency emphasize that communities have different types of resources or capital. However, if individuals with disabilities are not personally participating in these community resiliency efforts, their needs are not accounted for unless data from other resources is being used. This is where the census comes in and is so important because the census provides, the they're the agency for producing data about American people and our economy. At the national level, the Bureau is part of a number of different emergency management working groups organized by FEMA to coordinate the federal government's disaster response and recovery efforts, which address economic recovery, health and social services recovery, and community planning. The Bureau also employs the Emergency Preparedness and Response Team to provide data about their population directly to units of local government. So without good responses to the census and the survey, the Bureau is unable to provide data to the units of local government and preparing and responding to emergencies. So why is this so important? Basically it comes down to numbers and the data because the data is gonna provide how much money units of local government need. In preparing or responding to disasters, FEMA has a comprehensive planning guide that Generally, offices of emergency management typically follow to provide emergency services. This guide emphasizes the community approach as well and reiterates the jurisdiction's obligation and planning. These plans, whether it's emergency operation plans or standard operating procedures, include integration with other agencies, um, such as but not limited to health and human services, the police, fire department, transportation, to address the unique needs of that community. And, and those units of local government rely on the data from the census to plan and respond to emergencies. So for example, when you're looking at an area and how many hospitals they have, if one geographic area has one hospital and another geographic area has multiple hospitals, but they potentially could both be impacted, obviously, the area with one hospital is at higher risk for being able to not serve the community needs. So in general, that's what they're looking at, but specific to individuals with disabilities, knowing how many individuals in the area with disabilities that require a continuum of care would help them provide and plan for emergency response. Another example is in general, um, units of local government in preparing uh, request rescue equipment. Um, they look at, you know, per capita needs, but when addressing the specific needs of individuals with disability, they may need modified equipment or in the alternative training for first responders. So that census, that data from the census is crucial in preparing and what the community needs to address the disaster, potential disasters. FEMA also uses the data from the census to identify vulnerable communities and create a vulnerability index to assist with potential aid for public and individual assistance. This index is used to plan for mass care and emergency shelters and disaster response centers. So this data can also help staff shelters 
uh, with medical and health professionals, but also potential need for durable medical durable medical equipment or other accommodations such as possible interpreters or assistive technology devices in order to allow accessibility to the shelters or disaster resource centers. So that's kind of just emergency and response. Then you go to the next phase with long-term recovery, which is administered by another agency um, after the short-term recovery phase. And generally, and this all comes back down to money, it's through a different funding source, but it's all contingent on state and local plans, which is also, again, based on census data. An application for these funds, these plans rely on statistics in addressing the demographics in their specific area. Without accurate data from the census, the needs of the community, and specifically individuals with disabilities, will be missed and not accounted for. So, for example, um, in a state mitigation plan, seeking funds for reconstruction or rehabilitation of residences, individual residences, they may be requesting funds to, for elevation in a certain area because they're in a floodplain. Specific to individuals with disabilities, there needs to be a discussion about accessibility, whether they're going to need elevators or other ways to access these elevated homes. So the data would help to identify those with potential mobility issues within a certain juris jurisdiction or region. Um, FEMA's vulnerability index does not include those denied because their homes were safe to occupy. So we still have tons of families, thousands actually, that have unmet needs because they weren't given any aid from FEMA. So when the state or local jurisdiction is relying on census data, they can look at individuals with disabilities in those areas to determine the potential impact of those unmet needs for the state planning. The state mitigation plan also addresses those relying on public housing and would potentially need relocation assistance. Specific to individuals with disabilities, it could produce um, access to affordable housing and other options and, and how many they're having to target and look at. So it's important for people to remember that the key to disaster preparation and response is responding to the 2020 census. This will lead to more effective and efficient emergency management and rescue operations, as well as allocation of funds for rebuilding communities after a disaster. Excellent. Thank you so much, Stephanie. And now, Carol, take us away. Hi, this is Carol Stahersky with Disability Rights Florida. Um, I'm here today to tell you a story about um, us working both our voting project and our emergency management project at the same time. As most will remember, we had a pretty uh, devastating hurricane up here in the panhandle of Florida, Hurricane Michael. Uh, that had a lot of damage. Unfortunately, uh, this hurricane hit right during uh, voting, uh, open voting. So we were concerned that polling places were open and running and uh, buildings were not damaged and how the different supervisors of elections dealt with making it all work so that people could vote. Uh, during early voting and on election day, uh, Hurricane Michael hit on October 10th, uh, 2018. 
uh, we here at the Disability Rights Florida got in our car on October 31st, which gave a good couple of weeks so that we didn't get in the way of emergency management personnel, which we did not want to do, and a, and a good amount of time for the roads to get cleared. So on December 30, or yeah, October 31st, we uh, hopped in the car and we went to each one of the counties in the Florida Panhandle that had been declared a disaster area by the governor and by FEMA. And we started out in Tallahassee and um, the first one we hit was Gadsden County. And what we wanted to do was get a picture of what kind of damage each one of these counties had and how they dealt with it and how it was working for them at the time during um, early voting and what their plans were for election day. So the first place we went was Gadsden County, met with the supervisor of elections. Um, They were very available, very accommodating. We went right to their office and and got a report of how they were doing. They said uh, had to relocate one precinct in, in doing Due to building damage, they relocated the precinct to a library, and the re- they report everything is going well. They used, of uh, interest was how they let voters know. They said they used the newspapers and postcards and a sign at the old precinct to notify voters of the change of location. There was power available in all the precincts. Uh, staff, the staff felt they were ready and had not run into any significant issues. Then we uh, got back in the car and drove on to Jackson County, met with the supervisor of elections in Jackson County. Um, and as I'm telling my story, you will notice that I we're, we're going from Tallahassee, which had just minimal damage, uh, into Panama City, which had the worst. So we're kind of it kind of gets, we see more damage as we're going along. Um, Back to Jackson County, uh, they were very accommodating, met with the supervisor of elections. They said they had no voting equipment damage. There was damage to a good number of structures that were planned voting sites. They said normally they have like 14 early voting sites and they have opened polling places at emergency staging areas and distribution centers. The Department of Transportation put out voting information signs throughout the county and provided the Secretary of State's office cell phone number. Um, Information on the changes was shared via television, um, newspapers at the college, at the Chamber of Commerce, and at schools. And they used signs at the closed polling sites so that um, people would know where to go for the new one. Um, they also received generators from the Secretary of State and from Leon County Supervisor of Elections. Um, just in case, power was on in all of their sites, but power was sketchy at the time. It would go in and out a lot, so they had standby generators just in case. The early voting sites also are accepting vote by mail ballots, which was not the plan in the beginning. The, and it, the 
regulation was if you were more than 20 miles from a voting, one of the new voting sites, that you could bring a mail-in ballot to the supervisor of elections office. They had requested extra uh, vote-by-mail ballots from the supervisor of, or the secretary of state's office in Tallahassee. And they also, um, many of the churches were providing rides to the new polling places free of charge. Um, immediate family members were allowed to pick up vote by mail ballots to mail to the two displaced voters because a lot of voters were not in the area anymore. They had were in shelters that might have been throughout the state or even another state. Um, so they were really good about sharing information and, and what their plans were. Um, they, uh, they said they used social media in addition to some of the other um, avenues to announce the changes. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, then we moved on to Calhoun County, met with the supervisor of elections there. They're very available, very accommodating. They reported that all of their uh, equipment was undamaged and functioning properly. They did have to move one site um, to a high school gym uh, because of building damage. Um, one of the sites was under a tent. Um, they had AC in the tent. It was one of those big FEMA type tents with, so it had AC. They're working with television, radio, and telephone notification of the changes. Uh, the supervisor of elections in that county felt that they were in good shape and they did have generators available just in case. Then we moved on to uh, Liberty County. And the supervisor of elections was not there, but we talked with their staff. And let's see, they had no changes of locations at all. All eight sites that were originally scheduled for voting had power. They did have generators at each one of the sites, just in case. Then we moved on to Bay County, which is Panama City, which got the most of the damage um, which had some interesting stories. We met with the supervisor of elections. He told us that uh, they had spent the night in the supervisor of elections office where all the servers were because they were a little concerned. So staff spent the night there. They did lose their roof during the night um, and all of the water flooded into all of the servers for the voting equipment. Um, miraculously, um, and anyone that works with IT will, will kind of shake their head at this. They were able to take all of the servers, um, take them outside, take the cover off. This is the next day when the sun is finally shining. Uh, take the covers off, dump the water out, and lay them out in the sun to dry, and every single one of them worked. Um, so that was really surprising. Most of the buildings in Bay County... Um, were damaged. They had originally 40 early voting sites um, planned for early voting and that most of the buildings were damaged and they ended up with six what they call mega voting sites, which is they found a large building that didn't have damage that was ADA accessible. Um, and so they moved from 40 sites to six. Um, 
was it it was it caused some issues with transportation because people had to go much farther distances but again a lot of the um local churches and FEMA and the NAACP all kind of got together and provided as many rides as they could. So they used um, public service announcements to advise the public of changes, including radio and television and social media. Bay County asked Disability Rights Florida to put it also out on their social media. So they, they tried to hit as many outlets as possible. They said the Secretary of State from Florida had visited the Supervisor of Elections Office three times already. I don't think the mega voting sites were were probably uh, the most efficient way to do this, but if anybody was in Panama City after Hurricane Michael, there were very few undamaged, still standing um, buildings, so they didn't have a lot to choose from. So that was kind of a story of how we combined two uh, projects together, our voting project to make sure people with disabilities had access to voting and our emergency management project, which which we we use to monitor how uh, communities and people with disability are are, um, reacting and responding to a disaster. Carol, that was a wonderful and amazingly enlightful ride. Ladies, would you agree? Yes, yes. Thank you so much to all of our guests today. These stories were amazing. And what a wonderful way to close out this series, guys. Just ending it with the voices of the folks who are out there on the front line doing this work to ensure that the rights of people with disabilities are not dismissed, disregarded, ignored, pushed to the side, yeah? Absolutely. I like you said dismissed, and you got another word to start with the D there. Yeah, I was just keeping with our 3D thing, you know? The 3D A lot lot of things going on, yes. But, I mean, we're, we're literally closing out this entire series about disability, disaster, and democracy. And I think that there were so so many wonderful jewels that were dropped throughout the entire series. And do you guys have any favorite moments at all? Power at the polls. Ah, Loved it. I was going to say when you coined the phrase, the big C for sense. Well, that was a moment. That was was a moment. moment. You know what I mean? And I did it for the culture. You know, I did it for the culture. Yeah. So I noticed nobody said when I sang voice to men for you, but that's okay. Yeah. And I don't know. My feelings aren't hurt I mean, nobody mentioned, you know, the the backup vocals that I provided, which became the the foreground vocals. So really, our only audience was Erica, and she was not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I took it from the background to the foreground, wow. and nobody cared. So that was just, you know, uh, it took a lot of work to get those vocals in line. Anyway, um, it's fine. I, I think that this was such a pleasure to do this uh, series with you all. I think it puts us in a really wonderful position to inspire other folks to listen, and then also other staff members to get involved, because I think people are going to enjoy getting their content, technical assistance, training type of material in a different format, yeah? Yes, and it's 2020, so keep an ear out, not an eye, I suppose, an ear out Mm -hmm. for a new series coming from Erica and I, Pava with Java, where we'll be talking about elections and voting rights all throughout 2020. Mm -hmm. You know, 2020. Okay, wait a minute. I feel like there's a lot of tea that will be spilled about the census and the elections. What's in your mug? I'll see what you did there. I like the tea. 
steamy, though. steamy. Justice right. is definitely auditioning to be a guest. Well, well listen, guess. listen. I'm just out here. I'm just doing the work, you know, on a day to day basis. <laughs> just putting in the time. I love it. The time. But <laughs> we want to be sure to thank everyone who listened and right. the folks on the NDRN team who helped us put this podcast oh, together. Shout out to yeah. Tina Pinedo. Yeah. Yes. yeah, who's our audio engineer. We also want to shout out uh, our IT specialist who is such a phenomenal guy. His name is Charles and he does a lot of the hookup. He helps us out with Charles a lot of Charles is the fixture of all things in India. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for no, Charles, quite no. frankly. I wouldn't have so. my life together that if it wasn't for never. Charles. Never. Yep. Okay. I'm going to give my mom some of the credit for this, but yeah, no. I think Charles is a big part of this as well, I see. All right, good to know. Oh, Carol Bishop, I'm so sorry. <laughs> there's just so, there, but what we're trying to say um, in a very roundabout way is that there's a whole team that's involved with putting these things together, right? So we want to give a shout out to the comms team, the admin team, just everyone who was supportive of just even the smallest details from helping us to get the rooms booked and get the equipment secured. But then also all of the folks who participated throughout the series, we had some stunning interviews Mm. and really, really great stories. Oh, and they're doing great work on the field every day. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a joy. Stay tuned in, everyone. There's way more coming for you on the Panda Pod. The Panda Pod. We're out. Thank you.